I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo, and we have we have just Eddie. It's Teddy Sauer. Needed to France. Eric Marie. It's Mahi Drysdale. It is Sir Matthew Vincent. Thank you for being here. I'm Alex Del Sordo, the Rowers Choice, and this is another interview. And I, you know, you've you've if you've listened to us at this point, we have done now six episodes. This is number seven, and it's no secret we're talking to the fastest teams at the collegiate level in the country, men and women. And we are moving our way uh, to really understanding what college rowing is all about. And we are talking to a guy today that has been doing it for a long time. He's been doing this for a very long time. And what's wild is uh, he's been with pretty much the same program like his entire career. And that's really rare, right? So we're gonna really get into this guy's passion for the program and that and that speaks volumes right that just for someone to be dedicated that long is a big deal and i've been lucky enough to talk to this guy on the phone a couple times and you can hear it in his voice in his tone how much he loves rowing and i think that we're we're going to be jiving we're going to be we're going to be batting around here together because we both love the sport uh we're gonna be talking about his entire history from first stroke to where he is today at cornell and then we're the two, the, the, the juicy topics, the big ones are going to be, um, how do you take down those monsters at the IRA level? And then what if college rowing had more divisions besides just the dad veil type and the IRA? I have Todd Kennett, the, as he's called, the Spirit of 57, Director of Rowing at Cornell. Uh, we're going to be getting into this one. So Todd, thanks for being here. Oh, great to be here. Thank you. So Todd. I asked the same question, all right? So we want to get to know you and how you got into the sport. So how old were you and where were you when you took that first stroke? It, it was almost a little bit of a mistake because I got into Cornell. I was coming here to be an animal science major. My father was a veterinarian. So animal science is a big deal, deal at Cornell. They have the, one of the best vet schools in the world. And uh, I got, back then they used to have you put down your size and weight, your height and weight on a little piece of paper. And I sent it in and the rowing coaches got it. So they sent me this thing that said, oh, you're over six foot one. You, why don't you try out for the team? I threw it away. Sure. As I, why would I do something like that? I knew very little about rowing, except it seemed like a miserable sport because you were either running or you were wet and cold. And oh, wait a minute. Uh, hold on. Hold on. Let's get back to this. You wanted to be a vet. That was your like, that was the yeah, path you were going to take. Big time. Big time. Whoa. All right. I like, I love it already. All right. So you're over six foot one. You write this thing down. Like, so get me to when you got into the boat. Cause that's a, that's a journey. Mom pulled it out of the, out of the garbage says you should do this. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You never listen to your mother right away. You get to registration line. And at the registration line at Cornell, they asked guys to uh, walk by and you're supposed to sign up for a PE class. And the rowing coaches are in there. And one of them picks me off and he says, geez, you should try rowing. And I'm one of those guys that if you can actually look me in the eye and get me to say, yes, I'll actually do it. So he starts going this and he gives, puts his hand out. My name's Tony Johnson, not the Tony Johnson old one, but the oh. younger one. He was in the uh, assault on Lake Casitas, the skeleton crew. He was part yeah. of those, those lightweight dudes. He was one of those guys. All right. I anyway, he goes, you should try it. Why don't you come out? And he shakes my hand and I look him in the eyes. I'm like, oh gosh. So I said, yes, not really wanting to, but I did it. And I was a freshman at Cornell. I was 18 years old. And I took my first strokes in August of 1988. As uh, I did, took some in the, the tanks at Teagle, uh, Teagle Hall up on campus. And then I came, they came down on, on Saturday. I wish I could remember the exact date. It was a Saturday though. 
uh, we went out and I sat in a boat the first time and I didn't put my foot through the bottom. (laughs) Yeah. Good message for everyone. All those novice out there. Um, you, your mom said, do this. This is wild to me. Okay. So were you in in, in any kind of athlete prior to college? Like what were you doing in high school or before? I was very non-athletic in that I was a couch potato when I was a kid, uh, loved watching TV. And I was lucky enough to have gone a couple times to a prep school. I, I, I had some learning disabilities and my parents sent me for two years to a prep school where you were forced to do it. You had to do sports. So I did some soccer and baseball and I got pretty good at baseball. I became the captain of a, a, a JV team. And it, it was a changing experience for my athleticism in terms of I actually knew more than the coach, luckily, about baseball. I had done Little League and stuff, and I had some really good coaches when I was younger. So I had a great time with that. And then uh, when I I got to my senior year in high school and I got onto the varsity uh, baseball team and I got like the most improved second MVP and all that kind of stuff. And I had a really good year and it, it changed me a lot. It, it gave me some hope of being athletic and soccer as well. Um, I was a JV. I never made the varsity soccer team, but I became the captain of my JV team. And uh, that got me, I think, some of the cardio training. And probably the other thing, I worked on a lot of farms. I worked on uh, some horse farms, but we threw probably ten or 15,000 bales of hay a summer. So <laughs> by luck, by just luck, I did something almost more miserable than rowing. Wait a minute, Todd, you are literally a guy that throws hay bales? Like, I thought that was made up, dude. I, so you actually threw them, like, all summer long? yeah. And I think it's just as miserable as rowing. Your hands peel off. You got poison ivy all the time. It's just miserable. But it's sort of fun because you're driving around. You're in the sun. It's sort of the same as rowing. It's, it's got that, that aspect of, you know, you, you have 1,000 bales or 800 bales that day. And just like rowing, you know, if you, if you think of a 2K at the beginning of it, it's daunting. You know, like, oh, gosh, don't think of the whole thing. Just think of the stroke you're on, right? But if you just do one stroke at a time and if you just do one hay bale at a time, you'll get there. I was not prepared for that. All right. So how successful or not successful were you at rowing in those, in those three or four years at Cornell? I don't like to belt my own. I I had a good time. I I was lucky. I I had some good guys around me and and I had a good time. I I guess I'd have to hit off with one quick story. I, I was I was a dork. I was a total nerd off a farm. No idea what I was doing. And the guys almost made fun of me. And we had our first ERG test. And I remember one guy on my right ended up becoming a really good friend of mine and uh, from a rowing family. And he was six foot seven and just all muscle. I mean, this dude was huge. Guy on the left of me was another really tall six foot five guy. And I was like six, two, six, two and a half. I grew a bunch my freshman year. I was, I was like one of the smaller guys, but I guess I must have been pretty tough from throwing hay bales because halfway through this 10 minute piece, I looked at the guy on the right and I'm beating him. And I look at the guy at the left. I'm like, I'm going faster than him, too. Oh, this is pretty good. Okay, I'll pull a little harder. So I'm just wailing through this thing. And I finished the piece and I was like, all right, yeah, I guess, you know, it's hard. It didn't see it was no worse than throwing hay bales at that point is is, is the way you compared it. And uh, I walked out and the next day the coach put up the, uh, the list of how everybody did. And a couple guys look at me and go, we're going to call you Erg. And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, we're going to call you Erg. And little did I know, I ended up second. Uh, Tom Murray, who is the class of 91 at Cornell, he was a double Olympian and, and an incredible rower. Amazing what he went on to do. 
he was number one and he had just come off the junior national team where I think they won. He was really good. Oh. And, and I ended up second to him and my nickname then for the next four years ended up being Erg. Right, so wait, wait, okay, I love that, but this was a 10 minute test like that. That was the test piece. 10 minutes as hard as you can go. Yeah. That, I mean, it's not quite the 20, 2,500 meter test is the hardest test. And the 6K, in my opinion, the, the 6K and the 2,500 is probably the two hardest. Pretty miserable. 10 minute though. That's an odd, that's an odd distance. Was that pretty standard at Cornell back then? Yeah. Oh, big time. Yeah. That was, that seemed to be just the coaches use the 10 minute test for some reason. That was you the big deal. Do that. Do you do that at, at Cornell? No, I use it once in a while just to, to stack up. how I wouldn't do anymore. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I love it. All right. So how about on the water success? So Erg, let me ask you this one. How successful was the team back then? Um, in that 88 to 92 era. So the last time Cornell had won the IRA was 81. And the varsity, they had some good guys, but they never seemed to be able to put it together before me. There were some really good guys, Jeff Goddard, Andy Caulfields. There were some really big names in there. Um, and Dave Kusick, got, Finn Meislin was a coach. Finn suffered a terrible stroke when I was a sophomore. And they, I think the year before I made the varsity, my freshman year, they, I don't know if they won anything. But they set a course record at the IRA in the in the in the in the heats, uh, so it was pretty impressive. They set this heat or reps record that was a course record at that point up in Onondaga, and uh, but then they had a, a terrible final. And then my sophomore year, Dave Kusa came in, and um, we we finally won a race. I don't think Cornell's varsity had won a race in two or three years, and we finally we beat Rutgers by two or three feet. And everybody else we raced, we were really close to. And then we made, we got to the IRA and we were having a great race. Uh, and the, we made the final, we were having a great race. We were right in the medals and we caught a bad crab. And that took us out of, of, the, of the medals. But then after that, we, we, for the next two or three years, we, we made the finals for all three years I was in the varsity. And our, my senior year, we won a, a bronze at the IRA. You know, it's so it okay. Uh, it's great. I mean, a bronze, I, I never got a bronze medal at the IRA. Uh, that's, so all three years you made it the grand final at the IRA, all three years. Yeah. That's yeah. a tough, that's a, I mean, that's in general, that's a tough thing to do. And even in today's standards, that's really, yeah. really hard. I'd be really happy, excited if I made, had the varsity make three years <laughs> <know>. right now. <laughs> all right. So um, interesting. Dave Kusick was the coach at Cornell at that time in those yeah. years. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Okay. So you, at what point do you decide I cannot be a vet anymore? Because you, you jumped right into coaching, I believe, right after college, if not even sooner. So when did that go away? And did your parents care about it? Uh, my dad was a vet. And I yeah. think he, he always wanted me to probably be one, but he never pushed me on it. Never, ever, ever. Okay. Uh, I loved it. I, I, have a, I do have a touch with animals. I, I think I'm pretty good at seeing things that are wrong and right and when animals are doing well. Um, so I graduated and I, my grades were terrible. I, I have a terrible time with um, a, a learning disability and chemistry had, and I were not very good, but I was very good within my major. I had a couple job offers feeding cows and pigs all over the country. Oh, wow. Um, but a buddy of mine was doing a PhD in, in animal physiology in the vet school and he was using sled dogs as his uh, model. So we, he had a, a sled dog colony and he wanted to know if I would work for him taking care of a sled dog colony. And I thought I can I can feed chickens and pigs all the time, but sled dogs, who gets an offer like that at a university like this? So I took that thinking, what an adventure. And 
that was the adventure. And you know what? Sled dogs are so similar to rowing. It's uncanny. It's ridiculous how similar it is. So now I'm running this sled dog colony. And the funny thing is, my dad's professor when he was in school was this guy named Dr. Krupp, very famous uh, pathologist in, in veterinary medicine. His daughter happened to have been a coxswain and captain at Cornell. She was working at Cornell and she was also being the IC varsity women's coach. So when I graduated, I took this job in the vet school. One day she comes up to me and she goes, hey, what are you doing in the mornings? I'm like, this is a loaded question. Like, I don't know, I'm getting, going to work. She goes, how would you like to be the novice women's coach at Ithaca College? And I had never contemplated being a coach. I didn't think I could be a coach. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. So all of a sudden hearing that, I was like, there's no way I could be a coach. She goes, no, no, I need somebody to, you could totally do it. So I, uh, I actually said yes. You know, one of those things, again, I looked her in the eyes. She got me to say yes, and there I go. So I took over the IC novice women and it was probably the best year of learning for me in so many ways. We're talking all of a sudden I'm coaching women. So from men to women, it was learning how to teach the stroke. It was so much. It was great. I learned more in teaching in that first year than I've probably did in all my rowing. It was crazy how much I learned. You know, it was just, it was fantastic. And we had a great year. We had a really fun time and I just never stopped then. All right, let's get back to this sled dog colony because I, I have, I have, all right, I'm 37 years old, Todd. I have done a lot of random jobs in my life and most, most people have, right? I have never heard someone say, I ran a sled dog colony. What, what does that entail, dude? What, like, what do you do during the day with that job? You're a coach, man. It's, you have 70 athletes, your feet. So the quick sled dog story would be you show up in the morning, yeah. You have to water them and feed them because they're outside. And if it's zero out, they don't have any water. So you got to get water to them because they're athletes. So you feed them like this or you give them this sloppy slurry so that it has like dog food in it. So they'll drink it and they drink it all. And they're crazy. They're nuts. They're, they're really fun. They're usually really, most of them are really nice, but they're nuts. And they just, they can run and run and run. So anyway, you feed them, water them, you give them new bedding, and then you go train them. So that entails putting them all, you take 40 dogs and put them in a truck and you have these special boxes built and they go up in the boxes and each one has an assigned box. So you're teaching them which box is theirs all the time. You're making sure they're not fighting. You drive out to where the good snow is. I might have my snowmobile with me. So I might groom the trail once. Then you take the dogs out, let them pee and you hook them up to the, the you get all the equipment out, hook it up to the sled. And you're trying to, again, make sure they're not fighting because they're all jacked up. They're crazy athletes. You go run them the eight or 10 miles. You bring them in, you water them again because they're athletes and you're trying to get them. It's like, we actually came up with a product like Gatorade for dogs from this. Product. Yeah, yeah. Put them back in the truck, drive them home, put them back in their, in their, in their place. And then at the same time, you got to feed them and water Dude, this them This is again. wild. All right. So, blah, blah, blah. I, I, all right. All right. All right. This, this, it's a big job. It's funny. It's, it's weird, man. It's so weird how these things that you've done in your earlier career and, and, and learning, like they're paralleled to they're exactly parallel to coaching crew, right? And coaching. Oh, these it's athletes. crazy. Crazy. You know, and, and I'm sure like with your, you said you're with your learning disability, you probably learned how to communicate the same thing, seven different ways or five different ways, right? You've been able okay. to learn, right. How to really assist these young guys. Like you are coaching, you know, basically boys, you know, 17, 18, 19 year old boys. And same thing with the women, like, you got to get through their head, right? And you probably learned all these things through dogs and through all the other, wow. Okay, so let's get back on track. Yeah. 
you're at Ithaca, which is not too far away, right, from Cornell. So you're 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 in that world, right? You guys are you guys are pretty much in the same spot. When and how old were you when you got to Cornell coaching? Like when did you get into that space? So I did two years as the IC novice women's coach. And then it, during the summers, this is crazy, I was a fishing guide in Alaska. So as soon as, yes, as soon as my, my rowing stint would be over, I'd go up to Alaska and I'd guide fish, fishing trips out in the uh, Bristol Bay, which is very, very uh, uh, remote, exceedingly remote. Live in a tent all summer. There'd be a main lodge. They'd fly the people out to me. It was, it was unbelievable. And I was making a truckload of money doing it. It was great because you have no expenses and people are tipping you crazy. Well, I guided people like Michael Douglas, Oscar De Laurenti before, uh, crazy names like that. You you went fishing with these guys? You were a yeah. fishing guy with these? <laughs> what? Yeah. So I'm making great money and I'm thinking, should I become a fishing guide or should I become a rowing coach? Because at that point, I made it to, I think it was like uh, 1995 or six that I started thinking like, which one do I really want to do? And I think it was 96 or 97, I got a call from the lodge and they said, we want you to be the assistant lodge manager. And this would be like, now this is a big deal. So I could take that track or I could become a rowing coach. And I got to tell you, the one thing that bugged me more than anything else was people, Cornell has a saying, Cornell, Cornell BMA, right? When we launch people and everybody's what's BMA mean? And we used to say best men afloat. One day, this is funny, Mike Tatey sees me and we're talking and he's like, Oh, Cornell, Cornell BMA beat me again. That made me so mad. I can't begin to tell you. Mike Tatey gave me more motivation. It's sort of like a Michael Jordan moment right now, but that gave me more motivation than I've ever had before because I just couldn't stand that. That wasn't just looked at with some version of, of respect, you know? And oh. so, so I was just, it, oh, I was furious. And the crazy thing was, uh, by the time I got to 97 or 98, I believe I had coached seven or eight boats to a medal at the sprints, but we never won it. And that was driving me nuts. Something always happened. You know, we're talking like second freshman and three V's and stuff like that. I know I wasn't the main game at that point. My second and uh, I coached the first freshman. I was the first freshman uh, lightweight coach for a while. And I we were second and third there at the sprints a couple of times. But I never had won the, the whole deal. So it still irked at me at no end. So in nine, when the, the lodge called me, I said, I got to wait. And in 99, I was right on the verge of, I got to do one or the other. It's, it's time now. And uh, the rowing stuff, being an assistant, I had enough of it. I was ready. I loved my varsity coaches who I worked for, but I was like, it was time for me to either take a helm or uh, find a bigger job where I only had to do one. And the, the lodge was ready, but then the varsity lightweight job came open at Cornell. And I was like the fourth in row for it. I mean, a couple other people turned it down. So I was like, it got to be mid-September and I'm literally getting ready to leave. And they came to me and said, Todd, you want the job? And I was like, here's a prime job. The lightweights had won in 92, but they had, they had won once since, uh, I think it was like 1968, they had a string. And in 68, from 68 to 99, they had only won once in 92. And I was so, I was still had that, challenge in my mind that like I needed to see if we could make this thing happen because I just believed we could so I said I'm here I gotta stay I called the lodge up sorry I can't do it I'll guide for you a little bit but I really want to be this try this varsity coach out and give it a run and so then I became the varsity lightweight coach at Cornell holy hell 
And that's when I really committed because after, I think I guided for another three or four years, but it became like, I'd show up for a month or, or three weeks or, you know, a month and a half, no more than, no more than a month. And each, each trip got shorter and shorter and, and more and more exclusive. They'd bring me in for just special guests. But then by 94, I think it was 94 was my last, or 95 was my last year. And I, and, you know, we, we knew that the coaching was going well. We were starting to win. And I was like, I got to dedicate even more to this. So I, I got to bow out. I, I, it's, you know, it's so funny, man. It's these, it's these little moments. It's that Mike Tatey moment that just got you so fired up. Right. And, and, and it was, a, it was a, it was a passing in the wind moment for him. Right. You know, it was just whatever. And it fueled this, this multiple decade long goal for you. Well, I, mean, I should clarify too. I don't want to make Mike get too mad at me. Like he no, should no. realize, I, I think he's the greatest eights coach in the world. There's no question in my mind. He's, I sit in the launch with him. I, if I can sit in the launch with anybody, I sit in there with him and probably some years, I bet I've sat in the launch 20 or 30 times with him. I rever the man. <laughs> Those words still, you can still hear him saying it almost as if I'm standing in front of him. Oh, <laughs> that's so cool. You really think he's the greatest AIDS coach, huh? Like, oh yeah. Hands down. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't I, say I, director. Sorry, Mike. I don't know <laughs> if you're the greatest director, but you are an incredible AIDS coach. What's so okay? It's interesting. So you made your decision in that ninety-eight, ninety-nine time frame. American rowing was crushing it, dominating in the world at that point, right? Like we were, the, we were the best. In St. Catharines that year, do you remember St. Catharines? I sure do remember that oh. race. I went up for that race, and I remember watching. You were there. Tom. You were there. Oh yeah, I was there cheering, and I remember Tom Murray, who was my my room, you know, like my roommate and best buddy in rowing. He, he won a gold with the, yes. the Cox four and the eight was winning. Eight had just won three in a row. They're going yes. in 2003 up and holy cow, lightweight women, everybody was winning. It was great. Well, it, it makes was, total sense now. I mean, I totally, I totally understand why that was a bit, I mean, that's, that's a big influence on you too, being a coach. All right. So when do you take the helm of the varsity men's crew at Cornell? The, the lightweights or the heavyweights? The heavyweights. Like, so you, you had the lightweights, right? In like 99. Um, when do you get the men's heavyweight position? 2009 was the first season that I, I was with them. Oh, wow. So how, so forgive me for not knowing enough about lightweight rowing mm -hmm. in that era. So I was a heavyweight in that 05, 04 to 08. Yeah. How well did you do at the helm of the lightweights in that, in that 10 year span? That was the greatest thing ever, ever for me because we weren't so good when I, when I first took over, we had good guys. John Ferris was the coach before me and he was a guru of rowing. He still is. I mean, he knows so much about rowing and the, the physiology and the physics of it and, oh, unbelievable knowledge. Somehow it just never went together. And I took over and I'm a young, dumb coach. Like I, I'm the opposite of John. I'm not an educator. I went to Cornell, so I'm educated, but I'm not one of those super thinking guys. It's like, Keep it simple. I need to keep it really simple. And we tried a couple simple things that weren't so good. Uh, we tried putting more mileage on them. We tried doing just more rowing. We tried doing more erging. And I got really lucky because I met uh, my my trainer, head trainer, a guy named Bernie De Palma. One day he's sitting there and he, he says, Todd, you know, you're doing all this extra work and these guys are working hard, but they need to get more muscle on them in order to move the erg handle as fast as you need them to do it. And the only way to do that is through lifting. And I got lucky to get in with a, uh, our lifting coach. So I, you know, I went and did my inquiries and figured out, started reading up on lifting and how we do it and stuff like that. And I got in with a guy named uh, Tom Dillaplane. He's the, the Cornell trainer now. And, and 
we hit it off fantastically. And basically he and a couple other guys over a period of time really got us into lifting. And we started, it started, I think it was three or four years of not winning anything. And oh, two, I believe we won our first Ivy League race. We had lost for two or three years and it, things were looking pretty grim for me. I was starting to think I was going back to Alaska and uh, we won our first Ivy League race. It was a race against Dartmouth, the Bagley Bowl. And uh, I, 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 it was, I almost chokes me up now. I can still feel it. I was like, oh my God, we actually won. <laughs> and in 03, we got into this lifting program and all of a sudden things, we, I got a really good leader. I had an incredible captain, Joe Kiley. And he was able to stroke the boat, be the weight maker. And he also did something that I've never had before. He'd come in and push me like, coach, why were we doing this drill? How are we doing this? And he opened my eyes a lot more onto how to coach guys and coach rowing, like actually coach rowing. And we started having a lot more intellectual discussions. And then he'd sit in the stroke seat and you'd see him. I'd come off with the drill. This is what I want you to do. And Joe might stop the boat and he'd turn around. Do it this way. Do that. Do this. This is what you're going to feel. Okay. But now everybody understand what we're doing. They'd all nod. Off we'd go. And all of a sudden the boat would get faster. So it became this really cool thing, this dynamic of having this good guy in the boat who I could trust. He could trust me. And when he had questions, he'd come see me. And all of a sudden in 03, we won a medal. We won a, a bronze medal at the sprints. And I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. Like we had a great year and we had, 04 was an interesting year. I can make stories, tell you stories for hours about it, but we had, we still had a lot of, we got even more speed. Joe graduated, but I didn't quite have the same leadership yet. I had the, the players were in the game. And in 05, I got, I had a guy named Colin Farrell stro stroking and Ellie, uh, Ellie Rose, who became his wife. She was the coxswain and they made the most incredible stern pair ever. And that boat went on to be 11 and one. They were third at the sprints by three or four tenths of a second on a course break breaking year. And then they were second at the IRA. And we're like, this is going to be the greatest year. We're going to be lucky to replicate it. Wow. And the funny part was early in the year, Colin had come to me and said, I don't think my, the senior class is doing enough work. And I like, wow, that's, that's, that's big. Colin, that's, this is like your, your class here. He's like, yeah, they're just not doing enough work. I'm like, well, what do you suggest? And he goes, well, I think there's some sophomores that we could train to be in the boat. And I'm like, sophomores, there's no way a sophomore is going to make the varsity and be strong enough. He's like, I can train them if you can teach them how to row. Wow. And I was like, whoa, big words there, friend. And he's like, do you think you can do it? And I'm like, if you think you can train sophomores to be strong enough, I bet I can train them to row well enough. And we came out three tenths of a second shy. And I don't know which one of us was wrong, but <laughs> it was pretty good. So, I, re I remember that race. It was I remember crazy. that sprints race. That, 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 was a, that, that was an unbelievable race. So the crazier yeah. part about this house is, is then the next year, Colin graduates, Ellie graduates, three other big seniors graduated, and I'm left with a really young boat. And we struggled all season. Not, and we struggled. Let me be careful about how I say this. We lost races, but we never lost them by much. Mm. And uh, it got to be later in the season. And all of a sudden, one day, there was a guy who I, I started having trouble with the varsity JV separating him. Couldn't separate him very much. And I finally said, okay, let's go for this is, sounds odd. I went for a guy who I didn't think could stroke. I put him in to one stroke seat. And this other guy was telling me, he's the stroke. He's the stroke. So I put him in. Well, the guy that wasn't supposed to be the stroke, that boat took off and crushed everybody. 
And I'm like, wait a second, we're on to something here. So I started playing around with that lineup a little bit more. And I, all of a sudden, we got some guys that were long. This kid was really long, and he was patient, and, and he gave the book time to run. And all of a sudden, it was instead of trying to row 37, he was happy at 35. And that 35 was awesome. It was like, whoa, bread and butter, baby. This, this is the kind of 35 that you win races with. So we took off on that. We ended up switching another guy in who was even longer. But to go to make a long story short, they won this. They went into the sprints seated eighth and they won. And then they won the IRA. And that started. And then the next two years we won. So we won three in a row, three IRAs in a row, which was pretty amazing. And the fun part was the third season was almost a brand new crew again. And the guys just kept working. What was the fastest? So those years was what, 05 to 08? Or was it 06 to 09? It was 06 to 09 you won it. 05, we were second. 06, we won. 07, we won. All right. So then who, out of those three crews, who was the dead fastest? Who was the one, like, hands down, the fastest of those three years? The greatest race was the 08 race. If you watch the IRA, watch oh, no, it. I, yeah, I was there. Yeah. I remember that race. Okay. That one that was race. the one to come from behind. Like Princeton had it by a length. And then sure. we have this incredible sprint. Anyway, but I actually think the 07 crew was the fastest by the IRA. At the sprints, I yeah. don't think they were because we, we had some changes in lineups. And we're, we're, a guy came back with a broken rib from early in the season. He came back for the IRA. But that 07 IRA group, they were pretty darn fast. You had a, I think it was 05. You guys had a really fast light, uh, lightweight pair that raced the IRA pair. Do you remember that boat? <laughs> yeah, we, we had a lot of fat. We actually won the IRA pair, I think five or six times around that. Yeah, that so you're going to, you're going to like this story. So I was at Marietta my freshman year. So it was 05 and oh, Marietta had Marietta pair. Yeah, it was Chuck. Yeah, no, I wasn't in the pair. It was my seniors. Oh, you're going to love this story. All right. So all right. listen. So Chuck Gowdy was stroke seat of that boat. And that guy, I looked up to him like he was everything, right? The guy was low six tw- uh, 16s um, and, uh, and Johnson. It was, it was Gowdy and Johnson. And we walked in, Ban Carey was our coach, Big John. And he said to all of us freshmen, he goes, watch this fucking crew. They're going to dominate. This is the fastest pair ever. And they walked in cocky as can be and then these these little these little 150 pound boys okay smoke them off the line so fast you remember this they took four or five lengths off the entire field and we sat there on the island i'm getting chills remembering this moment van carey had to walk away because he had lost his mind watching his studs get crushed by a bunch of lightweights and i was like i think i probably should have went to cornell (laughs) i think i probably should have went there that was 06, 05. That was 05. You remember that? Oh, that was, yeah. No, we had some, we had some good pairs. And, and that 05 group, I think that was Diebold and Healy, maybe. I think it was Diebold was one of them. Diebold actually ended up uh, in the 06 varsity, but then he went on to a Worlds. He went on and won a silver medal at Worlds. Oh, in, that, in that makes sense. Like, I mean, that, that they looked, I don't know how often you trained in the pairs, you know, with those guys. But I remember watching them come down the course, blades off the water, straight line. Like they looked like they were polished in that boat. They knew what they were doing. We had some good pairs. We it, it was very impressive. All right. So you take you take the 09, you get the head coaching job of the men's uh, heavyweight. Why? You, you just won three in a row, right? You're clearly at the top of your game. Why transition to the heavyweight side? You probably should kick me. <laughs> I should know. No. 
uh, I'm, I was a heavyweight at Cornell and it was like returning home. You just, I, I, I did think I could help the program. Dan Rook was the, the coach before me and he yeah. is my, by far my mentor. I mean, if, if you had a father in coaching, Dan's my father. He taught me so much. I can't even begin. Uh, when he retired, I, I looked at the program. He, he left me in a great position. And I was like, you know, I think I can add to this. And the one I wasn't going to add on how well they rode, like he taught him that he was good. Uh, the only thing I thought I could teach him was to be a little tougher. And, you know, that's what I brought in. And the funny thing was in 09, my first year, we had a great year. We, we were undefeated in the regular season. We went into sprints ranked, I think, third or fourth, something like that. And I still look back and I still think that that was by far the most talented crew I'd probably ever coached. The interesting thing was they still didn't buy into me, though, and how hard I was asking them to work. Um, it's not that I was beating on them. It's that I was asking them to do some doubles and I was asking them to go after some workouts with more uh, a volume than they had at that point. And. I can still remember the senior captain at his at the senior speech saying, underclassmen, if there's one thing you do and you can take away from this is believe in what you're doing and listen to Todd and, and follow through so that you are good enough to win. Because they went to the sprints, that that 09 crew went to the sprints thinking they were pretty hot. And they were. And in the heat, the first half of the heat, we were walking away. We we're four or five seats up on Brown. I can still hear it cutting to the 1200. It was a really windy day. We got to around the 1200 meter mark with this lead. And I'm thinking like, oh, we got this. We're in. I'm like, this is perfect. Huge wind gust comes down. I mean, just boom. One of those gusts that you, when you watch, you see the oars go up in the air and water's flying and it destroyed us, destroyed us. Wow. And they get in and they're all like, well, we got hit by a big wind gust. I'm like, yeah, but but Brown was 12 feet to your left or right, whichever side it was. I'm like, what happened to them? I'm like, well, they were just tougher and better and they rode through it. I'm like, imagine that. I'm like, this is why I said we needed to do this work earlier on so that we could deal with this situation, which is going to happen. And I, I felt terrible because they were a great group of guys, really good. And uh, they, so they ended up fourth at the sprints. They, they had a good afternoon. They, they rebounded nicely. They understood that what they needed to do better. And we ended up fourth out in lane. I think we we're out in lane six. And we were the only crew not to, you know, it was one of those cross headwinds where it goes one, two, three, four, five, six, right across. And we were the one crew to flip flop. And that was the best sprints uh, result that Cornell had had in 30 years being fourth. Wow. So that you know, was I want to, I want to touch on a topic here. Um, you know, so before we get into the deeper conversation here, I want to touch on, you said that they didn't, that it, you didn't, they didn't, you weren't, they weren't bought in yet. Okay. That 09 crew. Now I, you were right. You like, they knew who you were. Yeah. So how hard was it? I mean, realistically, like, tell me about this saying goodbye to the lightweights. Right. And I'm sure that conversation had to be difficult. So what was the conversation like with them? And what was the first conversation like with the heavyweights? Because I'd like other coaches to hear this, you know, what was the goodbye and what was the hello conversation? The goodbye, I told the crew we were going to Henley with the lightweights because they had won in, in 08. So I remember we were at my house uh, having a, a, a barbecue. My wife had made some food and we were sitting there talking and we were actually gathering to get in the van drop to drive down to JFK. And 
my boss, my supervisor came in and asked me to sign the sheet before I left to say I would take the heavyweight job. So she showed up at the house as the guys were there and we were all coat and tie getting ready to leave. And I, I had to tell him then because I knew rumors would get out. And I told him and it was really hard. You know, it's like telling your kid that you're going to leave or something, you know, yeah. it, a divorce almost. And I'm like, guys, I'll be here, but I won't. You know, I, I, I got to do this for it's my job opportunity. It's my chance. You know, this is this is at this point now I'd spent 10 years with the lightweights. Uh, we, they were kicking. I mean, they were crushing and doing a good job every year. And uh, um, guys were going on to be co it, it, it just it, it, it was my opportunity, though. I had to take it. And it was really hard to do that. And meanwhile, going over to the heavyweights. You know, there's always a jealousy in any boathouse of lightweight versus heavyweight. I, I don't, I've yet to see a boathouse where those two, it's like the little brother, big brother thing. You know, there's always a jealousy. And I think you, as a coach, you can use it to your, your, oh, and we've used it a number of times here to have really positive results and to get very mutual respect from both crews for each other. But there's always that little bit of jealousy. And I think the heavyweights at that point were a little bit jealous of what the lightweights had done for the past four or five years. So when I walked in, I don't think everybody wanted to just, oh, great, here's Coach Kennett. Let's listen to what he's done. We're going to just win. You know, it was actually, I think there was a little bit of uh, a pushback. Like, he thinks he knows what he's doing. Well, we're the heavyweights, and we know what we're doing. And it, it took a long, it took a year to get through that. It, it took a year. I, man, yeah. You know, it's, oh, man, the arrogance that the average heavyweight crew team has is wild, right? I mean, it's the truth. I, I, I would have felt the same way if I am one of your athletes on the heavyweight side, you know, and you're like, what is this guy? What is this guy going to bring? Especially with your predecessor, Dan Rook. I mean, that guy's, a I mean, he's literally a legend, right? He's a guru. He's a guru. Um, wow. Okay. And, and like, it, yeah, like they were on the rise, right? The varsity heavyweights were, that was their peak, their building. All right. Well, let's, let's, Let's get in. Let's get into my first topic. So hang on. I got I to give you one more then. Oh, give it to me. Come on. Come on. The interesting thing was in 2010, the next year with the heavyweights, we graduated almost that entire class, uh, that entire varsity, except maybe two. I think two guys returned out of the varsity from 09, which now was fourth, the best finish in 30 years. At yeah. the sprints. In 10, it's a bunch of little guys. And I'm talking little. The boat average was 180 pounds. They were six foot two. And they were 6'10 on the erg. That was the boat average. Okay. Mm. We all season long, we were, we were right there. It, it was one of those things. Again, we were losing a bunch, but we never lost by much. Never lost by much. Get to the sprints. And I was a little bit pigheaded on this one. I probably should have listened a lot more to the guys. They wanted to row high. And I'm like, guys, you got to go at least, at least 36. Don't try the 37 and a half. 36 and pull. I mean, pull. So the heat comes off, Princeton, Harvard, Cornell, those three boats are pounding down the course together. I mean, they were going after it and it was within the seat. The finish line, Harvard wins one second over Princeton, who's a 10th of a second over us. Oh my God, I was devastated. I was like, holy cow, we just missed. I was so mad. Well, in the petite that afternoon, we come down the course This and the guys were devastated. So we came in, it was like, guys, you know, to go to the IRA, this still needs to happen. And you still have your pride and honor on here. And we can still learn from this next race. Let's do what you wanted to do now. 
So they come into the race, the afternoon race. First half, they rode at their 36 and a half, something like that. And they're they're right there. Syracuse is with them. A couple other boats are right with them. Halfway point, they shift up to 38 and a half, and they're gone. I mean, it was impressive how gone they were. And then who goes to win the sprints that afternoon? Harvard's first, Princeton's second. I was like, yeah. oh, gosh, we just gave up the first chance at a medal in 32 years or something like that. So I was like, holy smokes, we get to the IRA. And here we are again, and this time we didn't miss. And that's how they ended up third at the IRA. It was Cal, Washington, Cornell. And they, they were able to beat Harvard in the final. And, and I don't know if Princeton made the, I can't remember if Princeton made the final or if they were further back. I Sorry, I remember. But it was a big deal because I remember Harry coming over. He's like, you guys figured something out. I'm like, yeah, not to listen to coach. <laughs> <laughs> a lesson for all you young coaches out there. Uh, that's, a, that's a good story. Um, all right, because of time, you know, I, I like to keep these things to a, a, an hour. Um, since 2008, there's three teams that have won the IRA. And for most part, those same three have medaled at the IRA. There's very rare that you have someone not meddling in that, in that batch. Yeah. How, first question, and, and this is like all the same thing, how does a Cornell or even a Harvard or a Syracuse become a bronze, silver, gold mem member of, that, of the IRA? How do you get to that point in today's rowing? I've asked the same thing to myself for the past 10 years. And actually since 2010, I've asked myself that. And to me, two things need to happen. One, and this is the, the, the easy one, you need a little bit of luck, a little bit. Yeah. Two, you need resources. And the resources right now is the way we've changed from having the, the freshman league and having the ability to have walk-ons have an impact. It's now about recruiting. So your school needs to give you the recruiting resources. For instance, look at Syracuse right now. Reichman has a really good crew going on. Yeah, he does. He's changed though his recruiting from being all American to he now has started recruiting around the world and finding higher talent. And I hate to say it that way. I'm very proud to be American and I'm very proud that I have a lot of American kids because I'm, I'm born and bred in the United States of America. But I hate to say it, there's a lot of rowing talent in the world. And the rowing talent in the world tends to be a little bit better than the rowing talent just in America. Not that American kids can't still make these boats and be developed into it. You know, I, we're putting a kid on the U23 team almost every year, if not two, but I only have one or two of them. I'd need to have eight or 10 of them in order to make a boat to be really competitive that could take a shot at winning. And even then you still have to look and say, there's Olympians in some of these boats. So the recruiting oh, yeah. becomes a huge deal and ha your school giving you the resources to say you have either enough scholarships to go after enough kids, or if you're as an as need basis, an Ivy, you need to be able to have foreign financial aid, which we don't have. Well, we, I, you know, it's start, I think for, for, for local, I say local, like within our state, state border here, we need more emphasis on junior rowing. We need to make it fun, different, unique, uh, more energized. Like you look at the American recruits back in the late nineties, early two thousands, they're different. There's more, there was more of them mm -hmm. and less of them today, like how they qualified. I, Cause you need kids. I imagine in the six, 10, six low teens. Yeah. Two, so low two, teens, two slow low teens. You need guys that are sub six, 10, absolutely sub six at the high school level to be competitive at the international, at the IRA level. Yes. And, and if you're sub six, 10, that, that would be, 
you might be able to buy your junior and senior year be really competitive in the grand final of the IRA. You know, you can, come, you can still come in. What we're doing right now at Cornell is we're getting guys that are in that 615 to 622 range. Occasionally we get somebody a little faster, but in that, that, that high teen range, and we're able to get a few of them to go under six minutes, but most of them are getting down to the 605 range, something like that. And that's you know? by their senior year, right? That's by their senior year. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, there's a, for the, for the non-rowers out there, the guys that are just men and women get just getting into it. The, there is a huge difference between 615 and 605. It's, it is significantly harder. I mean, I had, I had a junior athlete reach out to me the other day and, and he goes 621 and he says, I want to be 617 by next year. I was like, nope, good luck. Because that, that gap as a high schooler is huge. Right. And then getting even further. Um, wow. So I understand that resources. I get that. Um, how many, in your opinion, how many Americans are there in the high school level polling good enough to be at the IRA their senior year in college? Like currently right now, how many juniors or seniors are out there right now that you're aware of? To be in the IRA grand final. By their senior year in college right now, like, you know, in four years, is there less than 10? There has to be less than 10. Yeah, I would I, I, I would mean, say there's far less than 10. There's far, there's far less than now, 10. Let me, let me say this. I do believe in heart and soul and, and grit. I, you know, people talk, there's, there's a couple books out about like grit or heart, soul. And if you have that guy that just won't go away, that, you know, Tatey tells all kinds of stories about guys that show up that have never rode before or only rode at some podunk little school. And they all of a sudden decide they want to be on the national team. And they, they sit on the yurt for 60 days straight doing two Ks. And all of a sudden they break six minutes. He's like, okay, you can be in, you can start training with us. You know, there's people like that. And I, I think there's a whole load of those people out there, but we're not getting them into rowing right now. We need to no, get that attitude to be into rowing and, and we could do it again, you know, but it's finding that and finding, finding for me, the issue becomes finding that kid with the grades that's going to be all of a sudden excited going to sport that he's never tried. It's really hard to get that, you know, and then getting him admitted. And then you're taking a huge gamble on how do you teach that kid versus if you go in, across the, the ocean to the other countries, you've got kids that are polished. You know, they've been doing it for six, seven years, and yeah. they have those guys that are that good. I'm just going to, you know, I, I think I'm a little naive here because I, I before I started interviewing a lot of the um, IRA level coaches, I would say the answer is be a better coach. And then uh, you talk to them. I right, like, look, there's my arrogance, right? But then I start talking to them and I start understanding the subtle differences. Like I was a good rower. I wasn't great. I was a GW. Greg Meyer was my coach. We, we, we hammered down the course. We were never out of the third level final of the IRA ever. Like that was it. We were close to top 18 and he trained us really hard, but there is a difference when you stand next to a man who can go sub six that can win the you IRA. There is a big difference yes, between that and you know, me and, and I'm, Six two, six three, 190 pounds, 195 pounds. I've so had yeah, it is not just about, I think being the better coach, it is being the better recruiter, being a better storyteller, telling the story and being able to convince eight, 10, 20, 30 people to buy into the same goal. I would I also that's say, the challenge. I, yeah, that's the challenge. And I would also pin it a little bit on the schools too. If you're uh, white collar, where are you going to send your kid right now? Are you going to go to 
Oh, pick it, Harvard. You know, yeah. who, who's going to turn Harvard down when they want it versus who's going to turn me down? You know, if, if it's Harvard versus Cornell, you know, everybody's everybody sees on TV Harvard number one. Well, yeah, they're going to oh, go it's there. It's pretty hard to recruit that. And don't don't get me wrong. I'll try to talk any kid. You know, you want to talk engineering. Our engineering is better. According to U.S. World News report and to the number of wind tunnels we have and the number of mechanical machine rooms we have and the number of majors we have and all that. Yet some kid on the phone will say, well, I'm going to go to Harvard because I can be a good engineer there. You can be a good engineer at a community college, too. If you really study hard, you can do that anywhere. But you're going there because of a name. You know, if you have a name, I think kids need to look really hard and say, where do I have the best opportunity? And if you're an American kid, you need to be looking and saying, who's going to give me the best chance to develop right now? You know, who's going to give me opportunity? You're you're not wrong. Um, Who? Okay, so Syracuse came off is coming off a great fall. Mm -hmm. You guys are pretty good this fall, too. You, You guys are no slouches. We, we had a good fall. You did. You did. Now, Cal, that boat was unbelievable last year. <laughs> yeah. So give me your top three projected finish for, for IRA coming up this, this year. Well, Where do you now, think, and it doesn't have to be one, two, three. Just who do you think the top three and four teams are right now based on fall's experience and what we just saw last IRA? And Cal's no question. And I love Reichman and I love what his crew's doing. So I'm going to put him into those three. And then now I'm going to go and I'm, I have three that I look at right now. And I say, you got to look at Harvard. You got to look at Brown. I love what Paul Cook and those guys do. And his, his captain from last year is with me. And I just see the optimism that he brings and the, the, the positive vibe he brings to, to my staff and to our guys. And I'm like, Ooh, that's, that's a dangerous thing to, to compete against because that positive, positive attitude goes forever. You know, that, that's that heart, soul and grit. And I always love Charlie, Butt and Harvard, it's hard to, to bet against him to be able to throw something in there. And they got some, they got some depth and they got some, some ability. So. I love that there. I love that. All right. Last, last question here. And I'm going to, I'm going to argue a little bit with you on this. Um, in my opinion, where I sit right now watching rowing and watching the growth of it, mm-hmm. I think it's really important that teams win and it's the eight. It's always the eight. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was at the dad this past year and it was abysmal. It was, it was, um, nothing against the people that run it. Okay. They've been doing it forever. It was a poorly attended regatta and there needs to be some of that back. I think that the dad needs to be big again. I believe that the men's IRA level programs need to be broken out into two distinct divisions. And I think that will help the sport grow because you have the three or four that will always win as of right now, history shows it 15 years. What's your take on that? Do you think that we should break out more? I had this great conversation and to put this in your head here uh, with Luke Agnini when he was at Georgetown and it was his second year there and I'm down at TBC with him and we're offloading some boats and he's like, man, I'm really angry right now. We're, we're, we're just, we're not going to win the IRA and I hate to lose. And, and we're just not in a position to ever win the IRA. And I would love to be able to be part of something else. He didn't give me specifics beyond that. Do you think that we should break it out? Do you think the t- league should be broken out so that there's more wins for some of those middle tier teams? I'm going to back up a little bit. I think the worst decision we ever made as a, a league was to get rid of freshman rowing. Because oh, I think, oh, 100%. Yeah. 
we limited the number of people we're teaching to row and the opportunities for people that are newer to get an opportunity in. We're now relying on recruits. And yes, we've made the league faster doing what we've done by going overseas. We've gotten a lot faster, but we've become the farm team of everybody's national team who already has a national team farm team. So we've only gotten the IRA grand final is unbelievably fast right now. And until we as a league decide that really adding numbers is important, we'll keep this. If we figure out that going to add numbers means we need to have some parity within how we get athletes to come and that just going across the, the seas or until everybody decides to either go across the seas and become the same recruiting level, we're going to have this parade of speed. Like uh, basically, you know, there's this, this top little group that has all the resources they need. There's this whole big middle group that, like I said, if you get a little lucky, maybe you sneak in there once in a while. And then there's a whole bunch of guys that will never get there because you just don't have sub six minute guys. You know, and you need them. I don't care how well you coach. I coach better now, I guarantee it, than I ever did 10 years ago. And I'm further away now than I ever was. So your idea of, of and winning is important in this sport and having the opportunity or at least having the opportunity, going to a race, knowing you have the right to be on the line and say, I can win this race is a way different feeling than saying, oh, man. I can be here, and, and if I do really well, we're going to go after this first 500 and see if we can scare, name your top two or three. And maybe if they scare and panic, we'll have a chance. When was the last time any one of the top three scared and panicked and screwed up? <laughs> Hasn't happened. It that's, doesn't. That's the point. Like, it is, you know, unless, and if you're just a, some little schmucky guy that's either 620 or 615 on the earth, you're not going to make that varsity in, in one of those schools. You'll never make that varsity. You're going to go to that school and you're going to roll in their 4B and their 5B. So I would not be at all uh, uh, put off by the topic of starting to talk about a mid-league uh, speed. You know, How about the freshmen? Let's get back to that. I actually have no idea why that decision was made. Why? Do you know why the decision was made to remove freshmen? Because some of the league thinks that we should go to the NCAA. And to oh, do okay. that, they were trying to get in line with what the NCAA does. And that is they don't have a freshman team. And I think that that was, I still stand by that. That was the craziest thing we ever did. Was just in terms of taking away opportunities for men who could come in and actually learn the sport, have a fun time, bond into a group and a class. And I still keep my freshmen together to this day. Uh, in my team, I, I occasionally I'll sneak one up here or there, but I try to keep them together as a group. So they start that bonding uh, experience. It's not the same, but it's, it helps. And it, it, you know, when you're, when you're walking on as a freshman, you catch a crab, all the freshmen laugh and you laugh together. Like, Oh, I caught a crab. <laughs> now, if you're a freshman and you are sort of a novice and you walk in and you're in the fifth boat or the fourth boat, you catch a crab. Everybody gets mad at you. Why? Because there's juniors and seniors that are trying to get up a boat class. You catch a crab and you made them have a lousy practice or lose a piece where had they won against the three V maybe they'd be in the three V. So, so all of a sudden it becomes way harder. You know, I'll tell you this, there was a, a I went, you know, I went to Marietta then GW and in that Marietta time I was in the freshman eight and it made me fall in love with rowing. Right. Cause I, uh, we were, we should have won the Davail. We lost by a in deck length. I don't even want to get into, it. I'm going to get mad thinking about it. But the, the, my two buddies that I went to high school with were at GW at the time and they were fortunate to the varsity eight, neither one of them row at all. Even now they don't touch the, an oar. They're not even involved in the sport, very little. And 
they said to me at the end, they were burnt out. They're like, I can't, like, I, I hated having the pressure of being a freshman at the varsity level. And, you know, GW was slow at the time. So it's, it's not the same as that upper level. I think you are exactly right. You're the first person to bring this up, Todd. You're the first person to point out directly that the answer not necessarily is a middle league, but it's bring back freshman rowing. I think you're exactly, exactly right. Well, the one problem that, that I, I'd say that helps men's opportunity, but the problem with it is if you look at the freshman league, then Cal and Washington won the freshman league when there were still freshmen almost the whole way back before that. And there, it was still a recruiting thing that they, those guys are getting as, you know, eight or 10 really good recruits. Plus they're getting another 16, just American kids. They can take, I, you know, I, I Scott has given me uh, ideas and I, I've heard ideas from some of the UW freshman coaches over the years that I've known. And, and we're talking upwards of three boats of experienced guys are walking in there. That allows you a lot. Plus, I know at Washington, they still had a huge walk-on group so they can find a few good bodies on campus. I mean, that, that's an enormous resource to have that kind of power to start your crew with, let alone you know, develop and get it into a varsity shape. That'd be enormous. So it's still, it was still skewed, but it still allowed other schools more development and more excitement and more men rowing. We're, we're not helping men's rowing numbers at the college level anymore. We're, we're feeding off just our, our high schools now. You, you, you touched on something. I'm, I'm, I'm going to add a little topic here. Um, you said that you, you, you reached, you, you have, you've had some ideas from Scott. I'm assuming Scott Franzen and Cal, right? Yeah. Um, there is a, a wave of these younger coaches coming in. Uh, and I'm excited about this. Like, I, you know, Al Monte at Penn, uh, mm -hmm. Scott's fairly young. You know, he's like 41 years old, 42. Uh, Gennaro at Yale. I'm loving this for our generation because we're, you know, we're, we're removed from you guys, right? Um, how much time do you spend talking to that younger generation of coaches? Are, do you, are you all friendly? Do you work with one another on speed and, and the success of, of rowing at the, at the American level? Like how connected are you? Um, in some ways, I think we're sort of connected. And I, I guess not that much. Uh, we definitely don't work on speed at the Amer for the American level. I can tell you that, like it, it, in terms of national team stuff, we that IRCA group meets and uh, uh, Josie came on and he talked a little bit to all of us. But everybody sort of wants their, a guy or two on the team. But it's not like we're sitting there thinking what's best for U.S. rowing. There has been talks about actually it's gone the other way. I remember meeting a couple of times at IRA meetings and coaches getting up and saying, we're, we're not the farm team for the U.S. team. You know, we're, we're about whatever school that person was from. That's who I'm about. That's what I'm doing. And if it happens to help these teams, great, but I'm not that person. So it was, it, that, that was interesting. So am I friendly with a lot of them? Yeah. I, I mean, at the same time, Al and I were on the phone just the other day talking about certain races. I, Scott uh, uh, and I talk a couple of times a year. So there, I really enjoy that part of it, you know, that there's, there's other guys out there that, and I really like guy like Scott, he's such a stand-up guy because here he is, he's in this team right now that's just eating it up and he'll call me up and, and treat me with a lot of respect and try to learn stuff from me too, you know, or, or take away something positive and give, I have the deepest respect for a guy like him and, you know, Reichman and all, a lot of these coaches in, in the league, Charlie and, and Paul Cook and uh, Rob Friedrich, and you just go up and down the list and there's a lot of guys that really care about rowing. I've asked this with a lot of, I'm trying to find some of these names, you know, I'm, I, you, you, you've, 
been around rowing a long time. Um, I have my, I have my group of coaches and peers that I call for advice. Um, who are some of the guys that you men or women that you still call today for advice on the stroke or your training plans? Like who are the people that you look up to and admire and also connect with? Um, well, you know, Reichman and I, 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 he's, he's by far, I think the, the elder statesman of, of us. I, I, I look to him a lot for that kind of thing. Uh, there, you know, I, I go all over the place with it. it. It's like I said, Paul, Charlie, uh, Wyatt is, is a great new addition into the group in the past 10 years here. Um, a Gladstone for a while. I think Gennaro is going to be fun in his position. I, I just go all over the place. If, if I had to say there's, I actually look for my best advice though, not from other coaches as much as I do from some of my successful past rowers, like Alex Kowalski. I talk to him a lot. Um, you know, he's down on the national team now and, and he, he went to Cornell. So he knows some of the, the, the problem is I'm not dealing with everybody else's school and their problem. I have my own set of problems with how Cornell works. So within the confines of what I have, some of my former athletes who had success, Hey coach, you should think about this. And it can fit in really well with whether it's exam schedules and, and classes and stress levels and that kind of stuff. They just seem to get that. So I use a lot more of the guys that have rode for me. I, that's, I don't hear that often. I've interviewed hundreds of people and it's, uh, it's usually the older statesmen, like you put it, you know, Reichman's been around uh, a long time. They usually, go to the old heads. I, I like your, I like your path. I like how you, you go back to the younger rowers that you had. Uh, that's a, I think that's the best approach to be honest with you. Uh, Todd, I had a surprisingly awesome conversation with you. I learned a hell of a lot more than I ever knew about you. Uh, from the, the sled dog colony to the Alaskan fishing guide. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a, it's a great story. Todd, I'm excited to watch Big Red come down the course this year. Uh, I'll be at the IRA. We'll be cheering you guys on. Uh, and everyone tuning in and listening to this, uh, and I'm sure Todd will welcome any questions you have. If you want to learn more about Cornell, there'll be Absolutely. links everywhere. And, and any way to get a hold of Todd here. Uh, this was episode seven, season four. We are continuing the trend, uh, lucky number seven, continuing the trend of uh, IRA, NCAA, men and women's coaches. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Todd, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks a ton. I appreciate it. Go Big Red.